sending off people to the mission field, seeing a baptism today. Oh, so good, right? Oh, my goodness. Those of you who are aware of a couple of things, I, I want to let you know if you're first, first time here, my name is Pastor Jeremy Bannister. We're glad that you guys are here worshiping with us today. We're going through the Bible in five years period of time. And what we do as a congregation is we read the Word of God. We've been reading the Word of God together six days a week. And then from our readings, that's what you hear on Sunday morning. We preach on all or part of what was read as a congregation so that we have a deeper understanding of the Word of God and a better understanding of that Word. I want to begin by saying hello, fellow scumbags. Really like that. That was pretty awesome. You also notice there's a clock in the back, and there's a big old digital clock that says 11:40. I'm letting you know what time it is right now. I also want to let you know that that clock means absolutely nothing to me, but it might mean something to you. And if those of you who are tight for going to work or something like that and 12 o'clock comes and you're like oh, I got to get out of here you're not offending me at all to step out however I do believe that this is one message that is so important it's while we're staying over I'm not planning on cutting it short letting you know that ahead of time there's nothing in here I believe I can cut short without cutting out something important because today we're talking about marriage this is the second most important decision you will ever make outside of your decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We read about it this week, beginning of the week, first two days, all about marriage. First Corinthians chapter 7. We moved into food sacrifice to idols, the rights of an apostle, running a, a strong race, lessons from Israel's history. Than women wearing coverings. You should watch that one online. That was a fun one. And finally, communion, which we've already celebrated. That's what we, discussed, that's what we studied this week as we read 1 Corinthians 7 through 11 for those of you who have been following with us. Now, it's appropriate that I happen to be doing this message one day after my anniversary. And one day before Trinidad's anniversary. Just so you know the date, buddy. So. <laughs> you know, the story of me and Shannon is really funny because I, I, I came to know my wife while working at Walmart. Walmart been very, very good to me. Okay. To make it even more fun, I worked in the toy section and she was in the pharmacy. So toys and drugs, they go great together, right? So that's what we joke about anyway. So, But I began dating her during that time. And the one thing that you guys ought to know concerning this is I wasn't a believer in Christ. As a matter of fact, four months before my, wife, my, my now wife who was my girlfriend, said, you know, it's been four months, I never invited you to go to church with me. And it was through her invitation, along with other circumstances that God had done that I've shared recently, that God brought me to faith in Jesus Christ. 
we just celebrated 28 years of marriage together. It's, it's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so happy. You know, so, you know, our, our idea of a good time is I, I buy stuff that our, our house is like a carnival area. It just really is. Anybody who's been to our house will know that we enjoy playing games, enjoying stuff together. I proposed to my wife at Six Flags in front of the water fountains. Okay, that's just, that's just who we are. We're just those types of people. And marriage has been very important, but I can honestly say that without the Lord, we wouldn't have been married 28 years. There's absolutely no way. Without Jesus in our life. I came to know Jesus before we were engaged, before we got married. Uh, so it's important to understand that our foundation walking into marriage was the same, but our dating relationship was not. This has everything to do with what we're going to read together because it's important that we understand marriage. You know why? Because so few of us today truly do. I can say that as a pastor of over 20 years now. I can say that as somebody who cares and loves each one of you. If you are married, I want your marriage to succeed. I want you to hear everything that I say today in the understanding that I am for your marriage. Under God's terms. In his terms alone. So, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read the whole thing and then we're going to break it up and and pull five things from this that I think are super important. So let's read it all as a whole, in context, together. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another that. Now to the unmarried... And to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the believing, unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise her children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. If a believing man or woman is a believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances, God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? 
Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation he was when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he was, who was a freedman when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man, is, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of this present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning, and they should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, But he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. So we see a lot that's talked about concerning marriage in this chapter. Paul kind of lays out his treatise. You know why? Because they asked about it. That's the first thing that says, now for the matters you wrote about. See, these first six chapters were his concern. My concern are these things that are happening to you. There are divisions within the church. There's sexual immorality that's happening among you. There's lawsuits among believers. All of these terrible things that are happening, I'm concerned with. That's why it's in the front of this letter that I send to you. But now... As Pastor Mark has said, this is not his first letter, though it is 1 Corinthians, right? But now, having received that correspondence from you, knowing that this was something that you were interested in, 
You want to understand marriage. I'm going to turn my attention fully toward those things you're asking about. Tell me about marriage. Paul's like, I got a few things to say. The first and most important is this. Number one, 1 Corinthians 7.39, at the very, very end, when he's talking about a woman bound to her husband. A woman who's bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. There has always been this restriction among believers in Christ in the Scriptures. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament people of God were supposed to not intermarry with other people lest they take on their gods. Solomon's great sin was that he had many wives and many foreign wives and they led him to worship other gods. And therefore, guess what? The kingdom split up and then you had calf idols in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They would struggle with this idea of adultery, uh, idolatry, excuse me all the way through their existence until they were taken out from Babylon and punished by God. These were the things that God warned them about as they entered into the land of promise. 2 Corinthians 6, we're told the same thing is for us. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of God. As God has said, I will live in with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out of them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. It is so very important that you and I are choosing people who have the same belief in Jesus Christ to be the ones that we are doing. That's something my wife didn't do when we started dating together. It was a mistake on her part that God redeemed. We told our kids, that's not the way we're supposed to do it. Just because God made up for our mistake and his grace was sufficient to bring me into the kingdom to lead as I'm supposed to lead as a husband, that's not normally what happens. I can say that after being here in 20 years of ministry. I am not the exception. I'm the exception, not the rule. I'm not the exception. I am the exception. I'm about the exception in everything, people. Okay? I am the exception, not the rule. As a matter of fact, my kids will tell you, they have one rule concerning marriage. He has to be an on-fire believer in Christ. That doesn't make their marriage perfect. It doesn't mean they will not have problems. None of that is, I'm not promising any of that, and neither does Paul, even in this passage. However, somebody who has Jesus first in their heart will prioritize their spouse. Because according to the scripture, it's the second most important relationship that we have outside of Jesus. Deuteronomy 11, just to get a flavor of what happened in the Old Testament, If we look at Deuteronomy 11 and the charge of 
parents talking about their kids as to why. So if you faithfully, verse 13, so if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. And as I shared with you before, how did worship of other gods enter into the people of Israel through foreign marriages, through marriages of unequally yoked people, people who did not believe in the same God. And we think that we are untouched by that today. I can tell you 100%, those of you who decide that I'm going to date somebody who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, the chances of your faith surviving that type of marriage is slim. It's not a fire to play around with. I'm not joking with you. I've had so many people under the... Circumstances saying, well, maybe I can convert this person to Jesus. Like I said, I'm the exception, I'm not the rule. Maybe I can be the one to help them see the light. No, you can be the one to show them that you're compromise of Christ because you're going to put that person on a higher pedestal than the commands of Jesus is going to affect your faith. It does every time either in the person losing their faith or sitting in misery, wishing that their husband or their wife who doesn't know Jesus Christ would come to know Jesus because as they have kids and as those kids begin to grow up and the priorities of the marriage shift to try and bring in values to these kids, all of a sudden you're not singing on the same song sheet anymore and there's conflict in the family because one of you wants to raise them in the Lord and the other one could care less. It's not worth playing around with, no matter how squiggly you feel in your gut because of that person. They just give me the feels. (sighs) Number two, speaking of feels. Another area in which I believe our culture struggles with, our Christian culture struggles with, Marriage should be chosen over premarital sex. Now, some of you are going, yes, amen, absolutely, all right. But if we read 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9 again, I think we're going to be challenged a little bit. And let's look at it in the context of what Paul is writing that they have asked about. 
Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry, but since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this and one has, an, one has this gift and another that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So a couple of things I want to mention here. Those of you who are in marital relationships, according to the word of God, you have marital duties one to another. Your body is not your own. Part of the reason that you are married is so that you avoid that very sexual temptation that the world has around you. And you are each other's covering for that. And denying one another that outside of a time that is agreed upon is dangerous for your marriage. I'm just letting you guys know that. No matter what you feel. I don't feel like it. Paul's single. He's like, I don't really care. And I'm writing this as this so that you understand. The reason why you have a wife partially is because of sexual immorality that's in the culture that you don't want to emulate. So we get into matrimony, which is a God-ordained institution for the purpose of intimacy and procreation. Do not deny one another. Don't. Seriously, don't. It's important you have that intimacy together. And it's not just about how you're feeling. That's why Paul makes it very clear that the husband isn't in control of his own body and the wife isn't in control of her body. This isn't a domineering thing because there has to be a mutual respect. You can't take 1 Corinthians chapter 7 without looking at Ephesians chapter 5. And so men, women, whichever one of you are the ones who may say, I want this marital duty fulfilled more than the other. Make sure you balance that out with Ephesians 5. Husbands, that means you're making your wife look beautiful, that you're self-sacrificial for on her behalf. That makes it a little bit easier for wives to say, okay, because he's self-sacrificial, this is how I can also be self-sacrificial. But on a more personal note, For those of us who are parents, I think the great folly is this. I've heard so many who are Christians who have prioritized education over marriage. Oh, you're not ready to get married yet. Let's make sure that you get your education first. You've got to have your degree. You have to have whatever it is that this world thinks is valuable so that you have a stable footing underneath you. The whole purpose that Paul is writing about here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 7 says, because there is so much sexual immorality, each of you should have your own wife or have your own husband. If you are tempted in this way, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. 
And if there's anything that I think as a American Christian people that we don't believe concerning the word of God, it's that. We try to tell our kids, well, we want to make sure you have your feet underneath you before you get married. And what we do is we end up sacrificing our children's faith on the altar of the foundation of education because they live in a sexually immoral culture. I'm sorry. Think about the month we're in right now. Is there any doubt that we live in a sexually immoral and forward culture? And that you and I as parents, shame on us that we would think a degree from any college is better than the sexual purity that God demands for our kids. In his chapter titled, If Christianity is True, Why Do People Walk Away? Jeff Myers writes, Sin is a distortion of love. We sin when we love things wrongly at the wrong time in the wrong way. In the study of faith of 20-something sociologists Jeremy Ecker, Bob Regnerus, and Margaret Valor found that although young people can return to faith from just about every life circumstance... Certain life habits such as cohabitation, fornication, which is sexual intercourse outside of marriage, drug use and alcohol abuse all accelerate diminished religiosity. This is further evidence that our lifestyle choices affect our relationships with God. You want to accelerate your son or your daughter leaving the faith in Jesus Christ, then if they're tempted sexually, they want to get married, you tell them education's more important. You tell them that living together is a good in-between. Because it'll put them in a position where every single week they come to church and they know that if the church is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and is sharing what is truthful and what is sinful, they will be in conflict every week walking into this place. Knowing that what they're doing is not right. But it's been told that this is a better solution. It's better if I have my footing up underneath me. That's not what the word of God says. And you and I as believers in Christ, if we want to preserve faith for the next generation, we better start believing this passage of Scripture more than the culture around us. But they're so young. I'd rather young married struggling, trusting in Jesus, than older degreed people living together, forsaking them. No matter how much money they have in their account. We need to make sure that we're not more concerned about the quality of life for our children than we are about our children living godly lives. Number three, for the Christian, divorce should not be an option. Verses 10 and 11, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, and if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. 
See, when we marry somebody, we make a commitment not just to that other person. We're making a commitment before God because God instituted marriage. It's not my idea. I mean, I can't think of any other idea that we would, we would put forth ourselves. I wouldn't think of doing that. I'd want to live for me, right? Most of us just want to live for ourselves, not for somebody else. Marriage is the antithesis of that. Marriage is self-sacrificial because it has its origin in God and it's demonstrated through Christ's sacrifice. That's the whole reason Ephesians 5 says what it says. Ephesians 5, by the way, when you're reading verses 21 through the end of the chapter, isn't about submission, husbands and wives. So it has that nice little, you'll read that, it's like husbands and wives. It's not about husbands and wives. Read the passage, it's about Christ and the church. That husbands and wives are a mirror of. So when you and I treat the covenant promise of God that is supposed to mirror the relationship of Christ in the church with such disrespect that it means nothing to us, we actually just besmirch the very Lord that we made the promise to our betrothed to. Divorce shouldn't be a word you throw around. How many of you are from divorced families? I can raise my hand. Between my mom and dad, five, five divorces. So when I tell you that God hates divorce, I know why. When I can tell you it's not his plan, I know why. But I've been married 28 years, so I can also tell you that God can give you grace to overcome whatever past you have. But he comes first. And that word divorce is not something you throw around. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that word ought to be stricken from your marital language. Because according to Jesus, in marital, between a believer and believer, there's only one reason why you divorce. And that's through marital unfaithfulness. That's it. Nothing else. I'm sorry, nothing. Which leads to the next question, right? But what about? Because as soon as I say nothing else, here comes all the questions. But what about this situation? What about this terrible situation over here? What about this one over here? How does this work? How do we do this? What about, what about abuse? We don't want people in abusive relationships. Of course not. If you're in an abusive relationship, obviously they're not following after Ephesians chapter 5, are they? Because Ephesians 5 is self-sacrificial. So what do we do in cases such as that? Let's talk about a few of those issues because Paul does. Starting in verse 12. To the rest I say this, I not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through a believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? 
Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord has assigned him to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. And each one should remain in the situation he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he was slaved when he was called by the Lord as the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he was a freedman when he was called as Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation he called him. As it pertains to marriage, what it's talking about in verse 12 is that if you're in an unequally yoked marriage, it's talking about you started out both as unbelievers and now one of you believes. Not that you sought out an unbelieving husband or wife on your own. That's kind of foreign to the scriptures. It really is. That's why Paul says, you know, you're free to marry, but only in the Lord. That's the admonition that we have as we're seeking relationships. But if you find yourselves in an unequally yoked situation, maybe you're both unbelievers and one of you comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's going to bring all types of turmoil into a relationship because you no longer have the same foundation. And Paul says, you still should still remain in the same situation that you were. You shouldn't seek a divorce. On your end of things, it's not about you seeking a divorce. Because as you are, you have influence over your children. You have an opportunity to share Christ with them. Even though it might come at a contention. If the unbeliever wants to leave and they want a divorce, God's called us to peace and there is a slight concession for that. But it's a concession, not a command. And it comes at a heavy cost. Because we lose the influence we have on the rest of the family. Whether it's our spouse or whether it's our kids. And those who have walked through divorce know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just the truth. Now they're divided. They're going to hear things even more divided than it was when you were in the same household. So what about abuse? Let's talk about abuse for a moment. How do we as a church deal with abuse? How, how do we fit it inside of this? Because obviously you wouldn't want somebody in an abusive situation to stay in that situation. I think 1 Corinthians 7 talks about a wife being able to leave her husband, but being reconciled to that same husband in that circumstance. But beyond that, What are we supposed to do as believers? Matthew chapter 18, I want you to look at the words of Jesus. And I want you to understand why this is important. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Why are these verses so important when it comes to conflict, even marital conflict? Because God has called us to live in community as believers in Christ together. This is why the church is so important, by the way. 
And it's so funny to me that we keep all of our issues so private in our day and age. We're all over social media. I can watch you guys post a bazillion things on social media. I've watched people post about their private lives to everybody else on social media, but we can't tell it to the church. They might know something's wrong in our lives. Never mind that when I just fussed out my wife on Facebook and talked about that, I got 60 likes from all different types of people I don't even know. The body of Christ is a covering for marriage. A lot of times we don't want to be held accountable. It just really comes down to that. Because if I have something wrong in my life, well then guess what? If you come to Mark or myself and we sit down and we're talking to you, I'm going to tell you one thing we're going to do. We're going to go back to the word of God. And we're going to say, how is your marriage lining up with what the word of God says? And in any way that it's not lining up like that, we're going to encourage you to do certain things. And the only thing we have in our toolbox, all that we have is the word of God. If you're not going to listen to us of the word of God, we got nothing. And why a lot of our counseling ends up unfruitful is not because it's not fruitful from God's perspective, but from the couple's perspective. They don't want to do it. Doesn't matter what it is. A lot of times we want them to have accountability. We want them to do certain things that are going to build up their relationship. And we'll ask them the next week, the week after that, whenever we meet up again, have you done what we've asked? Almost all the time, the answer is no. Just telling you as somebody who's counseled for 20 years now. I got nothing else but what the word of God says. Are you going to put yourself under the authority of God? So guess what? We walk through, hey, you guys need to do this. This is what you need to do. This is what's wrong with you. This is what's wrong with you. Maybe you're both wrong in some areas. This is what you need to do to build yourselves up, to keep yourselves accountable, to do these certain things, to be in community, to have community, to hold you accountable. I don't want to do that. We're going to tell you again. As authorities within the church, we're going to tell you again. And then according to the word of God, we've got to treat you like an unbeliever. Because a believer wants to obey Jesus. That's why Matthew 18 is there. So a husband or a wife in an abusive situation comes to a pastor who says, this is what's happening. We sit down together and we say, this is what needs to happen. You need this help. I refuse to do it. I'm going to come to you again. Just like Matthew 18 says, and bring the witness of God and bring the witness of another pastor and come down and say, this is what you need to do. I'm not going to do it. And we bring it before the leaders of the church because we don't announce everybody's sin up here, fellow scumbags. And if he refuses to listen or she refuses to listen even to the church, we now treat him as a pagan and a non-believer. And it might be that one is trying to follow Christ and the other one's not. And now we have an unequally yoked marriage. And now we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Well, I don't want to be around you if this is the way it's going to be. This church is too judgmental. 
Guys, I am for your marriages. But oftentimes, in those offices, you're not. You've already made up your mind that you don't want to serve Christ. Or humble yourself. And we see divorces happen. That didn't have to happen. That's how you biblically handle abuse. Because it wouldn't leave people in that dangerous situation. It would provide accountability. It would bring it out into the light. And bring it in such a way where we could find out. Is this a believer to believer interaction? Is this an unbeliever to believer interaction? And how do we deal with it if one of them says, I, I don't want anything to do with you. If you're going to keep bringing me to this church, I'd just rather have a divorce. We're called to peace. But that's how you're supposed to handle it. Unfortunately, our culture, in our Christian culture today, we don't. And a lot of marriages break apart because they don't have to. Because they don't want to be obedient to what Jesus wants. I want to give a word about singleness because Paul talks a lot about singleness here, right? A lot of single people here, right? And those single people sometimes like, I get into this church and people want to get me married and all this other stuff. First of all, married people trying to get single people married. Stop it. Please. Can you stop? There's enough pressure in the world as it is. I get it. You're like, this person and this person would be so cute together. That's not our goal. And that's what Paul is trying to bring forth. That singleness is a gift so that we can be solely devoted to God and the mission he's given us of making disciples. If the person has no compulsion, it's like, I don't want to date anybody right now. That's not a bad thing. If they're moping around saying, I wish I had somebody, that, then you might want to play matchmaker. That's fine. But come on. There's some people perfectly happy in their singleness and they don't want to be pressured by you to be other than happy in their singleness. Can you rejoice in their singleness as well as single people? Can you rejoice in other people being married? Because it goes both ways. Other people's blessing is not your curse. Stop treating it that way. A single person ought to be content in their singleness in the Lord. Paul was happy being single. Peter was happy being married. And they didn't feel the need to compare with one another as if one was better than the other. It's a station that God has given for the purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission, whether you're married or single. Stop it. I say that as somebody who has never tried to matchmake. Sincerely, I haven't. Don't want to. So 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 25. Now about virgins I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. 
And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, and those who mourn as if they did not, and those who are happy as if they were not, and those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, and those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for the world in its present form is passing away. I want to stop right there. Whether you're single or married, our purpose is to disciple others in Jesus Christ. Our purpose is the Great Commission. That is our purpose, whether you're married or not. And Paul says, if you get married, here's the problem. You're going to find yourself divided. Because you're going to be worried about your wife, which is not a bad thing. That's what God wants. And you're going to be worried about your kids, which is not a bad thing, because that's what God wants. But oftentimes we get stuck in the things of this world. We get distracted by having to have 3.5 cars and 2.5 houses because we want the best life for our kids. And we get distracted from going forth and sharing the gospel, starting with our children and expanding to those around us who need to know Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want to spare you that. I want to spare you that because that's going to be a distraction. But you may be called to that station. Jesus said the same thing, talking about that everybody can, can accept not getting married. It's only for those to whom God is called. Matthew chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. Some of you are called to be single. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a blessing of God. Some of you are called to be married. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a blessing of God. But mom and dad, your first discipleship, your first growth in the kingdom of heaven should be those in your own household. Single people, you should not lose heart in understanding that my first goal is to win others to Jesus Christ. That is our mission as believers in Jesus. And whether married or single, our status as a single or married person is to keep us focused so that we'll be going out and making disciples. That's why Paul says at the very beginning, because there's so much sexual immorality, have a wife, have a husband. Why? So that you will stay focused on the things of God. But it can easily become a distraction, can't it? How many people in the status that you're in right now are hearing about Jesus because of you? Doesn't matter if you're single or married. How many people are hearing about Jesus? That's why God has you, either single or married. It's not my word, that's his. You got trouble in your marriage? Get into community. Talk to Pastor Mark. Talk to myself. Talk to your life group leaders, the people who care about you, and get focused back on one another and back on Christ and back on the mission, which is to tell others about Jesus. Because you're playing with fire that could cost you or your kids, 
their relationship with God. That's why it's so important. That's why Paul spends a whole chapter talking about it. Stand. I say this with all the sincerity in my heart sincerely. I am for you. I am for your marriage. Pastor Mark is for you and for your marriage. God's way. That's it. God's way. If you are outside of that in any way, we are for you, but you need help. You need to come to us. You need to let us pray with you. You need to listen, not to us, but to the word of God. And with conviction, step forward, knowing that he who created marriage will sustain it. We've seen it in our own. We want to see it in yours. So that you stand as a testimony for Christ. And you go out and accomplish what he wants, which is to make disciples of all nations. God, I want to thank you for today. Thank you for the time that we have right now. I pray, dear Heavenly Father, for every single person, for every married person. In the name of Jesus, I just want to see them built up and take away all distractions that would hinder us from making disciples, what you called us to whether in our own families, with our children that you've entrusted us with, or to the world around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends who desperately need Jesus in a lost world right now. God, help us be wise in our relationships. Those of us who are single, O Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that they would look for those only in the Lord if they are so desiring a spouse or if they're content without one. God, Help us not to push them toward that direction, but to be content solely in you. And let us stop comparing ourselves to one another. Our goal is to win disciples, not to look at each other's houses or cars or status or whatever. Our goal is to stand before our Lord and Savior who redeemed us and say, I ran this race as you wanted me to, no matter what the world said around me. Help us to do that, that we might be effective in our life in Christ Jesus. And we pray that so that we'll see the next generation raise up and be uncompromising in their faith. And the next generation after that be raised up and be uncompromising in their faith. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Let it begin with us. Amen.